First Church Charlotte. Tonight's uh, Bible study um, may seem familiar to some of you, and I know the topic is is not a strange one. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm teaching it for a reason, and the topic is: there's only one plan of salvation, only one. Not two, not three, not four. There's only one plan of salvation. There's only one God and one plan of salvation. Sometimes you'll hear uh, from friends or even family (laughs) and well-meaning believers as well. You'll hear them say things like, you know, Everyone is eventually going to heaven. I heard that recently. My head almost fell off my body. Uh, Or they'll say something like, all roads lead to God. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that. Or, Or even they'll say, they'll say, you can take many paths to God, no matter what you believe, or even if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, that's all you need. And you will get to heaven. I don't think that's what the Bible says. The Bible says a little bit more than that. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. There is a movement around called the ecumenical movement. Started in the early part of the last last century. And it is the chief promoter of this belief system. It's a notion that has persisted in many ways until today. And those who believe in this, uh, I'd like to call it a non-biblical made-up doctrine. Right, they cite John 17 20, uh, 20 through 23. This is, of course, uh, Jesus's high priestly prayer when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they say that this scripture proves that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you get you make it into heaven. Let me read, let me read John, uh, let me read this particular John 17 20 to 23 for you. Here begins the reading of God's word. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the word may believe, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that I've loved them as you have loved me. So far, that is the scripture. This is a doctrine that has confused many believers over the years. It is a tough scripture to read anyway because of the back and forth of the verb and the noun. And I would like to address this tonight, at least a little bit. I'd like to touch on it. Maybe the Lord will help me to expand on it later. The ecumenical movement, also called the interdenominationalism or transdenominationalism, they took these verses in Jesus's high priestly prayer and I think misinterpreted them to mean that all Christians or anyone believe in Jesus are going to heaven. And while there is a hint of truth in that statement, you have to believe in Jesus. But that's only the beginning. 
right? The Bible says, they that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But belief is where you begin. It's not where you end. The Bible is very specific about and says a lot about how to be saved. And I want to give you some of that so that you will have that in your tool belt. So that if someone were to ask you, you can respond appropriately. Further, the concept and principle that Christians who belong to different Christian denominations should work together to develop closer relationships among uh, their churches and promote Christian unity is another idea, which I think is good, that came out of the ecumenical movement. We might touch on that as well. The fact that the majority of all Christians belong to one of the mainstream Christian denominations, whether it's Southern Baptist or uh, Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Lutheran or even the, the Roman Catholic churches, the fact that the majority of Christians uh, in the world belong to one of these, Pentecostal as well, obviously, <laughs> Uh, the vast majority of them believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, John 1, 1. And we receive baptism according to the, either the Trinitarian formula or the Jesus name formula. We believe in the Jesus name formula exclusively and is seen as being um, one of the things that we hold dear, right? We believe in Jesus. We, we believe in baptism in Jesus name. We believe in living a life that is uh, uh, that God could be proud of, right? That that others looking at you can see you and say, okay, that person is living a life that is God glorifying. In 1937, Christian leaders from the mainstream Christian churches resolved to establish what is called the World Council of Churches and to work towards this cause of Christian unity under the moniker of ecumenicalism, right? And it includes most of the major traditions of churches in the world today. Some of them I mentioned earlier. Let me give you some more. The Syrian Christian Church of the East, the Old Catholic Church, the Oriental Orthodox Churches, the Lutheran World Federation, the Anglican Communion, the Baptist World Alliance, the Mennonite churches, the World Methodist Council, the Moravian Church, the Pentecostal Church, the World Communion of Reformed Churches, as well as almost all jurisdictions of the Eastern Orthodox churches. And even the Roman Catholic Church participates in this as well uh, as an observer, but it sends the delegates to all of their official meetings. But a closer examination of scripture reveals that this idea of ecumenicalism, uh, ecumenicalism is not found anywhere in the Bible. The ecumenical movement, that is not found in the Bible. In fact, the Bible exposes this belief as an error. And ultimately, it's leading people away from God. There are so many scriptures in the Bible that plainly declare that there is not many ways to God. There's one way to God. And that is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to discuss tonight is some of those scriptures. I want to share some of those scriptures so we can see that God has prescribed very clearly uh, the ways in which you can make it to heaven. 
First, let's look at Acts 2, uh, beginning at verse 37. We know this well. Uh, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and those that were present asked Peter a specific question. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Then Peter spoke these famous words, and we hold those words as seminal, as fundamental to the doctrine of salvation, and they are these. Men and brethren, when they heard this, they were, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's verse 37. Then Peter responded in verse 38 and told them. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, yes, we believe, but we must also repent. Yes, the Bible did say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But remember, we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So in addition to that, it also says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission or the removal of those sins. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, this promise is not only to you, it's to your children, to all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. That's the first one. The next one. Let me take you to the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter number 16, verse 25. And this is familiar to some of you as well. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners there were listening to them. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors of the prisons were opened and everyone's chains fell off of them, were loosened. And the keepers of the prison, awaking from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, hey man, do yourself no harm for we're still all here. Verse 29, then he called for a light. He ran in, fell down before Paul and Silas, trembling, the Bible says. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'm reading now verse 31. Here's the answer. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. Verse 33. And they took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. And now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Notice the Apostle Paul um, was responding to this jailer, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't hesitate. His immediate response was to tell him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he baptized him. So, so yeah, believe, of course, right? But then he had to take action. So this proves that belief alone is not alone because lots of people believe in Jesus, 
The Bible says even the devil believe and tremble. Right? However, you have to act on what you believe and follow the directions of the scripture. Right? And what does the scripture say? I just read some of it. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. The Lord promises to give you the Holy Ghost. And then you live a life that's God-pleasing. Right? So surely there are millions like uh, that jailer who are wondering, how can I be saved and go to heaven? Well, the answer is simple. You must believe, then repent from your sins. Develop your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to the word. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you listen to the word preached and taught, like I'm teaching tonight. That will create faith in your heart. And then you exercise that faith in God, right? And, and God will strengthen your belief, right? And then all of a sudden you begin to feel a kind of strength in your heart that you can believe even the more. And as you extend your faith to the Lord, the Bible says, uh, and, it, and it was traditional that we would wait for the Holy Ghost. The, the old timers used to call it tarry. We would literally go to the sanctuary and kneel at the altar and, and cry out to the Lord, tarry for the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that the, the Lord would fill you with the Holy Ghost. Paul did not offer or suggest that there are multiple roads to God. He set forth Jesus's uh, uh, command that Christ says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is this is Jesus stating this in John 14, 5, uh, in response to what Thomas asked. And you remember Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where we're going. How, how do we know the way? And that's when the Lord gave him that response. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way. Notice, the truth, the life, not one of many ways of finding God, but the, the way, the singular one way. So in one brief sentence, Jesus reveals that he is the way to God. He is the way to get to heaven and into God's presence. We, we must accept Jesus as declaring this all-important truth that, that he and he alone is the pathway for men and women to come to God. I, I know it is customary that uh, some folks will say, well, what if you wasn't raised in Christianity? What if you, you were raised as Muslim or if you were raised a Hindu or if you were raised a Baha'i or if you were raised Shinto or if you were raised in some other faith? Does that mean you will die in your sins? I have, I have an answer for you. Yes. Yes. Because there's only one way to God. Those other faiths and other religions are not founded on a basis of salvation. You want to be saved and go to heaven? Jesus says, I am the way. Period. End of story. The Apostle Peter in Acts 4 uh, agreed with Jesus and the Apostle Paul in declaring the one and only way to salvation. And this is the verse that he gives him in verse 12. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you all just crucified. 
but God raised him from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Verse 12, salvation is found in no other else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Peter's words are clear and unequivocal. And this is God's determined plan of salvation. Salvation is found in no one else than Jesus. Verse 10, not in good works, not in good intentions even, good motives, not in good motives even, not in trying really hard or even in faithful church attendance. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus. Then get baptized in the name of Jesus and Jesus will give you his spirit. And then you'll have the power to the Bible. The Bible says, walk in the spirit. In other words, you'll have the power to live for God. I tell people, I have another Bible study that I teach to a bunch of realtors on Tuesdays. And I was telling them this Sunday, this Tuesday again, you cannot live for God without God in your heart. You'll be a good man or a good woman, good son, a good daughter, good father, a good grandfather, whatever. You, you, you wouldn't, you know, you can live a life where you're not doing all the traditional bad things, lie, steal, cheat, whatever. But that won't get you to heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ alone and following what the word has told us, repent of your sins. In other words, ask Jesus to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed, known and unknown. I remember when I was tearing for the Holy Spirit, those are the words that I would use, known and unknown. There are sins that I've committed that I didn't intend to commit. The spirit of lust, for example, will come upon you. And the Bible says, if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed the sin, right? We lie, we lie, we lie so frequently and so often that, man, we don't even know when we're lying anymore. My grandmother used to always correct us when we exaggerate. She would say, you know, that's lying. <laughs> I love that woman. Mother Drummond was her name. And she would always say, you know, it's a lie. And it would convict me. Of course, I would laugh it off. But we have to, like, clean up ourselves, man. Because the Bible also says no liar will enter heaven. The Bible says that. But sadly, millions and millions of people have fallen for the error that says our good works will earn us a place in heaven. There's no way our good works can earn heaven. The Bible clearly indicates that God's great salvation is by his grace alone, not by good works so that we can go boast and said, I did this or I did that. And then I made it in. Jesus says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take care of all of that so that nobody could boast. I'm going to give you salvation as a free gift, but you have to take it. You have to seek it. You have to appropriate it. Here's what Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says, quote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So you have to extend your faith in Jesus. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then in Titus 3, 5, we find 
Paul writing to Titus saying, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. We can do nothing to save ourselves. You will say to me, Pastor Don, what do you mean? Well, it was intentional. It was intentional. Jesus didn't want for us to have uh, any part in the salvation plan. He was going to do it all himself. Right? Now, Peter asserted that no other living being, past, present, or future, could lead us to God and to salvation when he said, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Great men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David, and even Paul and Peter, they can't save us. If you pray to uh, Mary, if you happen to come from the Catholic faith, Mary can't save you because Mary herself prayed to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Maybe you have heroes or heroines of other religions. Uh, many of them are good people. Buddha or Muhammad or Krishna or Joseph Smith. They were, they were earnestly seeking uh, enlightenment or they're seeking God, Allah. Right? What Muhammad was seeking uh, is oneness with Allah. But they can't serve, uh, save you either. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can save us and bring us to God. Only Jesus can truthfully say, I am the way. I am the way. I am. So, so let's examine again a few more insights into this theme that Jesus is the one and only way, right? Let's look at some of the insights offered by the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 2, I just read. He came and he preached peace. Verse 17, Ephesians 2, 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, those of us, far away from the commonwealth of Israel, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. Verse 18, for through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by that one and self-same spirit. Paul states succinctly that it is through Jesus that we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to God. Jesus came from God. As a matter of fact, someone would put it this way. Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. The Bible calls it the only begotten of the Father. John 1, 14. John 16, 28. And now it is through Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection that we too will have access to God. The question of how to get to heaven and into the presence of God is now answered through Jesus Christ. His crucifixion and resurrection has secured for us salvation. And in his own words, he laid out the fact that he is the only way. John 14, 6. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, verse 1 and 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved no, to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus and him crucified. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says, I don't want to know nothing about any of that. 
just just Jesus and him crucified. And if you remember how Paul came to know God, um, it was quite dramatic and, and radical because Paul was an enemy of Christianity. They called him Saul then, same name. The Jewish version is Saul, the Greek version is Paul. But he was an enemy. The Bible says uh, in Acts chapter number nine that he was he was going, in fact, he went to the high priest to get orders to go crucify Christians. And when you read uh, the story of the apostle Paul's conversion or when he met God on the Damascus road, it's quite a dramatic story. I, I encourage you to read Acts chapter number nine, the first 22 verses. So this persecutor of the early church had failed to find salvation in Judaism. He had failed to find salvation in the law. He couldn't find it in the law of Moses, but he was faithful and he was dedicated. And God basically said, I could use this man. And so he was on his way to go persecute the early church, the early Christians. And the Lord met him on the Damascus road, slapped him off of his donkey, blinded him and spoke to him out of the cloud and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me, man? And then he recognized and he says, who, who art thou, Lord? And the sound came back. I am Jesus who you're persecuting. It is hard for you to be kicking against me like that. And the Bible says that, bam, the Lord blinded his eyes so that he couldn't see where he was going. He needed people to lead him. And the Lord told him where to go. Ananias is a fire. Eventually they prayed for him. He received his sight. And from then on, Paul's dominant message was, I believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified because he heard Jesus speak to him out of the clouds. Paul preached Jesus Christ as savior. Jesus who had died for our sins was buried and rose again on the third day. That same Jesus that he said was the gospel. If you read first Corinthians chapter number 15, I read this um, every time I do um, a funeral service or, or sometimes I will do uh, other types of teaching and preaching. First Corinthians 15 uh, makes it very clear that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us. Uh, you know what? I'm going to read it. First Corinthians chapter number 15. Let me just digress slightly so that you can get a sense of what, uh, of how uh, this particular text is written. I'm there. First Corinthians chapter number 15. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, I'm just going to read the first few verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you also rece received and in which you stand and by which you are saved. So it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Right. And he goes on to say, and then he was seen of Cephas or Peter. Right. That is that is the salvation message. The, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're believing in something else. That's not going to save you. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to mankind. Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Uh, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the foundation. Too, too many people in this world try to lay some other foundation. And that's what we're trying to address tonight. The fact that people believe other stuff. Not stuff that they find in the Bible, but just stuff that they hear from preachers. Stuff that they pick up from reading other books, not reading the Bible. They read, for example, that you can do good works. I, I have a friend or had a friend. I, I haven't talked with him in probably 15 years, but he used to have an office next to mine when I worked at Rico. Right. And we used to we used to discuss the scripture because he was Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe in doing good works. They believe that you can earn salvation by doing good works. It's part of their salvation doctrine. And that's why they show up at your house with the Watchtower magazine, doing good works. They get points for that. <laughs> they are earning their way to heaven. That is not biblical. That is, I don't know how people can, well, you know, I, I don't want to throw stones at them, but that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. It's good to do good works, living a decent, honorable life, going to church regularly, performing certain rites and rituals, paying your tithes, helping out. These, these are good things to do, but they are not the foundation for salvation. No one, Jesus says, can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. Paul says, rather, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only foundation for salvation. He alone is the rock upon which we can stand. As the hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. Y'all remember that? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So if you're not standing on Jesus Christ, you're on sinking sand. Is that clear? I hope it is. First Timothy 2 and verse 3 says it this way. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So one God and one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that paid the price that we could not pay. So Paul is writing to young pastor Timothy that the one and only mediator between God and man is uh, Jesus Christ, the son of God himself, who came to earth and became a man so that he could sacrifice himself 
and become the mediator, the only go-between, between lost sinners and a holy God. So let us look at a number of other very clear scriptural declarations by the Apostle John. We're reading now, uh, maybe you can re repeat this with me, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, don't, don't, don't just stop there. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, so whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 36, watch this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Most people don't read that far. They just stop at verse 16. But the opposite is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the contrary or the opposite is also true. You don't believe him, you die. I know you don't hear this talk a lot because it's kind of it's kind of harsh, but it's true. It promises eternal life to those who come to faith in Jesus, but also whosoever does not believe stands condemned. So to reject Jesus is to incur God's wrath, to incur God's condemnation. Verse 36 says, eternal life is mentioned again as the reward for those who come to faith in Jesus. This is a dire warning, y'all. Whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So if you reject Jesus Christ, that's a fatal decision. And there are many people today who calls themselves atheists or agnostics, or they believe in some other uh, divinity. Um, yeah, they're, 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 they're invoking God's wrath upon themselves. And so in John 6, 66, we read this. From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back from following him. Verse 67. Jesus turned to them and said, so how about you 12? Y'all want to leave too? Peter responded in verse 68. Peter, he says, Lord, where are we going to go? When you alone have the words of eternal life. <laughs> I love this. I mean, I, I, I like to act it out, as you can tell. This is a time when some of Jesus' disciples were leaving him, and Peter spoke these words of wisdom for seekers of all generations, not just for them, but, but to us as well. Lord, to whom shall we go when you alone have the words of eternal life? Peter knew that there was no other source for life. No other words, no other avenue that will lead to salvation other than the words of truth that comes from Jesus. John 8, 23 and 24, but he continued. He says, you all are from below. I am from above. You all are of this world. 
I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, the one I claim to be, the Messiah. You will indeed die in your sins. In contrast to all of the men, including his disciples, Jesus says, I'm from above. His origin, his rightful place, his current place of enthronement is heaven itself. Earth is his footstool, he said. That being said, Jesus warned his hearers that if they did not believe in him, in his words, they would die in their sins. He was making it clear. He was making it unequivocal that you, you've not only got to believe in Jesus, you've got to take those actions that he has prescribed, his words, so that you would not die in your sins. I hope this is good for you because I'm I'm feeling the spirit of the Lord that like, I, maybe that's the reason why I'm hammering in a way. Um, it's not just belief, we've got to act. First John two and one, my dear children, I write to you, John writes, so that you will not sin. But if any man sin, we have one who speaks on our behalf, in defense of us, our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for also for the sins of the whole world. And that includes everybody. Who speaks to the Father in defense of us? Jesus Christ. Who is the atoning sacrifice for our sin? Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that all of us are guilty sinners, Romans 3 and 23. And what remedy is the redemptive plan of salvation that God has provided for? One and only plan. Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf. 1 John 4 and 14. And we have and have testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So we can conclude from this that all roads do not lead to God. The only road that leads to God is Jesus. It is God, not man, who has the right to determine how sinners will reestablish their relationship with God. And he has determined that his son, Jesus, will be that divine provision for our salvation. He said, the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And we know Jesus to be that son of God. The Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived Jesus. So, so the Holy Spirit is the father of Jesus. So Jesus has God on the inside. Come on now. For those of you men who have children, you know that. I know that this world is trying to change this now. But man and woman produce offspring. Right? Not man and man. Not woman and woman. It has to be male and female. Right? And the seed of that man is the determinant of much of what that child would be. Some say more than 50%. I don't know. But we cannot deny the influence of God in Jesus. The Bible says that he is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He told us that. 
He said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. When Philip was, was, was confused and was asking me, show us the father, show us the father. And he said, Philip, have I been so long with you that you have not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the father, Philip. And John echoes Jesus's word that he, Jesus, is the only way to God. He declares in no uncertain terms that no one who denies Jesus has the Father. In John, 1 John 5.11, he says, And this is the testimony that God has given to us. And this life is, is in his Son, verse 12. And he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son does not have life. 1 John 5.11 and 12. It is wonderful to find eternal life in Jesus. It is an eternal disaster to look anywhere else for salvation. For he who does not have the Son does not have life. We need Jesus, y'all. I'm closing. This is just a couple more scriptures. Because I want you to have the ammunition. I want you to study this so that you, you can have the ammunition for yourself so that you are able to defend. The Bible says that we are able to answer if someone asks. Hebrews 2 and 9. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, because he suffered death, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He might taste death for everybody. So why is Jesus the one and only way to God? Because it is uniquely Jesus who's chosen to taste death for everyone. As Paul wrote, the good news, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, verse Corinthians 15 and 3, and was raised or justified, Romans 4.25. We serve a crucified and risen Savior. The only one God has ever appointed to such a glorious task. And then finally, Hebrews 9 and 28, 27, 28 says, just as one man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, even so Christ was sanctified or sacrificed rather once to take away the sins of the world and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him this this same crucified risen and exalted savior jesus christ he will come again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him are you waiting for him i hope you are are you waiting for Jesus, your Savior? I hope you are. Have you, or, or have you fallen to this fatal deception that some people are promoting, that all roads lead to God? There is no such thing. I let you know that Jesus is waiting warmly, graciously, and with open arms for you to come to him for salvation. Believe in him as the crucified and risen son of God. Bring your sins to him in sincere sorrow and ask for forgiveness and experience his welcoming, warmly and forgiving hand into the family of God. This is your sure hope, your sure hope of salvation.
and this is the only way that you can possibly make it to heaven. Amen. That's all I have. That's all I have. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.